Hello and welcome to the Good Mood Podcast. This is episode 52. I am Dr. Talia Marcajani, naturopathic doctor with a focus in mental health and hormones and digestion. And I practice out of Ontario, Canada. And today's episode is an interview with me. So I'm being interviewed. This is a cross post from the Queen's Power podcast. And it's called Helping Young People Cope with the Pandemic. So who has heard this story where you said something like, I was involved in blank and then the pandemic hit. So many of us, I've heard this over and over again, people saying like, I was doing this at the gym or I was involved in this club. I feel so, so lucky to have had surfing in the last year because it was something that got me out, gave me purpose, got me moving, provided me with a community that was socially distanced. And I was outside even in the winter and I didn't have to pay for it. Wasn't getting shut down like ski hills. It was something that could be done at a distance. It was done for relatively little money once you buy the gear. So I was so lucky and I wish that I could just help people find their thing like that. Um, and on this podcast with Queen's University's Health and Nutrition Society, um, my interviewer, Ali Romaine, told me that students are staying up all night, sleeping all day, feeling isolated. And she asked me for some tips as an ND and as a Queen's grad. And, you know, Victoria Sabo and I have done two podcasts on this episode 50 on some of the symptoms that people are experiencing related to the pandemic. Um, and then episode 51, which has some of the major points that can help us cope where we run through 10 different things in detail on how to, to help get you through this time. And I really highly recommend checking out those episodes after this one, if you like it. Um, but things are so hard right now. It's not easy. And I would just say to you though, you know, that you must, must, must find purpose, find routine, find your community or start a community. And, you know, sometimes our bodies are asking us to rest and just let us off the hook for a lot of things. And I think that's a good idea too, to be able to, you know, be unproductive one day and not feel guilt around that. But at the same time, there are these essentials for human survival that, you know, we don't know how long this is going to go on for and we need to find these anchors. And, you know, as, to, as I was talking to Ali, I was just reminded of my time at, at Queens. Undergrad was really hard on my mental health. I remember my time um, studying life science at Queens with very mixed emotions, and I really can't imagine what it would be like to be there or anywhere as a student or young person right now. Um, but we just don't have a choice. Our, our lives have forever changed, but our bodies and souls still need what they need. So how can we tap into whatever strength and support we can access at this time. And I have to say, just disclosure is I've personally felt that ball get away from me over and over again this past year, feeling really a lot of lack around my social connection, a lot of disintegration of my routines, not having a community, not having a purpose. And 
you know, really there's nothing that can be done in those moments except to like jog over to the ball, sort of bouncing sadly and weakly in the corner and pick it up again and, and try and get it moving. Um, and as they say in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, you know, just acknowledge those emotions and maybe say something like, you know, maybe it's okay. It's already here. And so Ali Romain, Alexandra, is a second year engineering student, engineering chemistry student who interviews me. And I talk to her about mood, hormones, mental health, including tips on how to keep to a schedule and the benefits of doing so. And no, no, please don't hang up or stop the episode now. Schedules can be fun and they can be sexy. Contrary to limiting your spontaneity, they can ask, they can be your ticket to freedom and well-being. And in fact, I wish I was a better schedule than I, when I was at Queens. Um, I wish I'd known about adaptogenic herbs <laughs> for sure. I wish I'd known about the importance of sleep. Um, and I was really forced to organize myself while I was there, but not without going through some major growing pains and mental health dips along the way. And so I try to impart some of this wisdom almost to my younger self as I'm talking to Allie and hopefully help some of the students and young people out there going through this time. So this episode is for you if you're struggling right now because you can pick up on these tips too. It's not just for people in their teens and 20s, but if you are in your teens or 20s or you have someone in your life who is, please listen and let me know what you think. And then, like I said, check out the episodes 50 on... Um, you know, what our collective emotions are surrounding the pandemic and episode 51 where Victoria Sabo and I run through the 10 major points that can help us cope. So I hope you enjoy this episode and see you later without further ado. It'll be. Today we are here with Dr. Talia Marcajani, a naturopathic doctor and mental health professional. She mainly focuses on mental health and hormones. Um, she studied life sciences at Queen's and she also has a naturopathic medicine degree from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. So welcome to the podcast. Hi Ali. You pronounced it, you pronounced Marcajani like perfectly. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> so good. Um, thank you for giving some time today to talk with me about sort of all things health and wellness. Um, I'm hoping to focus kind of on undergraduate students here at Queen's, especially during the pandemic, because I feel like we have a lot of issues that need solving. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's going on with everything? Like you're at home, right? Campus mm -hmm. is closed. Or mm -hmm. So yeah, all of our classes are online for most students. I think a few students have like a few in-person classes, but majority of it is online and we can go to the library and we can go to the gym but that's about it so we spend a lot of time sitting and looking at monitors all day which mm. is not super healthy I can't imagine yeah I graduated in 2008 from LifeSci you said you're in chem end right second year yeah yeah and I don't know I don't know what, what things are like right now but it was pretty intense program like it was mm -hmm. a pretty it's pretty brutal just like doing classes normally showing up 
uh, in person. And I remember in second year, like we didn't have much like laptop, co- like it was just starting. Like mm-hmm. we would mostly print out lectures, um, like the print out the, uh, I guess the PDFs or the PowerPoint and bring them in physical form <laughs> to class and like a binder. Yeah. Like, we weren't really in laptop world at that point. Um, but I remember second year stats, our prof put his lectures online. And so I opted for that. <laughs> and it was like, I couldn't learn that way. Like it was, I use it as a way to just not go to class. Yeah. But I remember watching these stats lectures, like I wasn't retaining anything from that. It was pretty bad. Yeah. And so I can't imagine all the classes being in that format. And mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah. How did you get into naturopathic medicine since you studied life sciences? Like what was kind of your story and like, how did you get to that point? How did I start it? Yeah. So I, I think like most life size (laughs) wanted to be a medical doctor. So I'm starting, it was sort of like treating it like a pre-med program. And when I was in about second year, I don't know you know, arts and sciences is different from engineering. I think like engineering, there's like a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Like, you know, you're (laughs) going to get a professional degree, but not with an arts and science degree. Um, Like the first year you're kind of excited, you're going to get into your program. There was a bit of a, if I remember like a selection process to get life science as a major. And, but by second year, I was not, I wasn't feeling it at all. I don't know what it's like right now, but it was a lot of memorization. Um, like we had some labs, but I remember some courses were just a multiple choice midterm and multiple choice final it was just like memorization regurgitation on multiple choice Scantron cards. And it didn't feel like, I don't know. I think of science as like <laughs> critical thinking skills, like yeah. inductive, deductive reasoning. <laughs> and it was just like, like a binge purge yeah, education. And I remember, uh, I don't know who the dean is now of LifeSide, but I remember like writing to him um, being like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> and, he was, and he was like, yeah, you're right. Like we're trying to, he taught a uh, third year neuroscience and he was really, um, I, I remember he was trying to get us to think like the people that designed some of the experiments with rats. Like it was like getting us to think how people came to the knowledge that was in the textbooks versus just like, here's the knowledge. It's going to be out of date in two years, yeah. <laughs> but memorize it now, you know, mm-hmm. without really understanding how, what the logical process was to get there, what the experimentation process was. Yeah. And so, yeah. So, and I was, I also, it's a very competitive program. It felt really lonely and it felt like there wasn't a lot of, it was really anonymous. Like, I don't know if a lot of your classes are also pilot, like we, we would be with uh, bio majors, sometimes engineers, sometimes med students in our classes. And so even though we were only 150 people in our year, um, in our major or support specialization, we were like piled in with other people. So we would be in the like bio auditorium with 500 students. So <laughs> that was really intense. And I just decided like, I don't know, I got through it, but I, I wasn't really into it anymore. I didn't want to do four more years. I, um, also had a hard time just pumping out the grades. Like, you know, it takes like 80% of your effort to get 75 Uh, to get that extra 10% is like an extra, (laughs) like it's like 99% of your effort, you know? So like, it's like the diminishing returns happen and it was just too much. And um, so I was like, okay, I have this degree. I don't know what I'm going to do next. And I ended up 
in my last semester, I was able to sort of take different electives. So I ended up taking like philosophy and, and different electives like that. Hmm. Um, I just, I had enough spares left over, I guess. And so I wasn't really taking life side courses and I became really interested in Latin America. I went to Colombia and, and what skills I had were to teach English. I'm like, well, hmm. I'll teach English as a second language or a foreign language and just sort of travel and fund my travels by working. And while I was there, I started to, so I had my own health issues, like a lot of just subtle, not quite diagnosable stuff, like fatigue, you know, this sort of subtle metabolic dysfunction, like weight gain, you know? Um, Yeah. Like I I was convinced I had diabetes. Like I'm learning these things in school, but obviously (laughs) like I don't have a diagnosis. I remember like yeah, like exercising a bit too much, not eating enough, not sleeping enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember taking some crappy B vitamin that I heard was good. It was like some Shoppers Drug Mart one. So I kind of thought about vitamins, but had no idea how to apply it and didn't know how to apply <laughs> nutrition. Um, I remember like learning about the Krebs cycle and being like, oh, that's vitamin D3. <laughs> like, does that mean taking more makes your Krebs cycle go? Fa-? Like, yeah, you know, and, um, and then, uh, just, yeah, like, like, you know, what could be classified as depression, but I never got a diagnosis at that time, like fatigue. Mm-hmm. Like, you're not quite sure. You just kind yeah, of. Yeah, like, just like a lot of anxiety, a lot you of know just. something's feeling. wrong, but. Exactly. And there's an, uh, I don't know, I didn't, we didn't have as many conversations around mental health at that time that I'm aware of, like, I, I was aware there was counseling, but I didn't know how to use mm-hmm. it. I didn't know how to use health services. Um, I remember going to, like, a walk-in clinic in in Kingston, like on Princess Street, I think it was. And <laughs> the doctor was like, why are you here? Like, she didn't really, I mean, you don't really go to walk-in clinic, talk about mental health issues. You go because you have like a yeah. respiratory infection or a UTI or something. You need an antibiotic prescription. You're not going to yeah. form a relationship with the physician there necessarily. Mm-hmm. And so she was sort of like confused why I was going there, but it, you know, it felt really hopeless. And, um, and just like, yeah, these subtle things that I was trying to figure out what it was. And which I came to understand is really common mm-hmm. and essentially just like a, a person undergoing burnout and a ton of stress. Mm-hmm. And so all these different symptoms are were a result of that, but I wasn't able to put that together. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so I had this experience of sort of going to different practitioners and nobody's really people just sort of telling me I'm okay go home and you're like, that's great. It's good that there's nothing wrong with me that I don't have diabetes or hypothyroidism or whatever I thought I had. But at the same time, what do I have? Like Mm -hmm. normal. And in Colombia, there's a a wider acceptance of natural medicine. Their natural practitioners go to med school first Mm -hmm. and then they specialize after that. And they also didn't understand what I'd studied because they don't do the sort of John Hopkins system where you do a four-year undergrad and then four years of medical school. So they thought that I had kind of done four years of what they, what for them is a six-year medical program and then quit or something. Like they didn't really understand what I'd done. They're like, oh, (laughs) so you studied the sciences of life, which is the translation, but you, you, um, didn't finish. I'm like, no, no, I finished, but you just have like an undergrad degree in science. Yeah. And I ended up going to a practitioner who he was a plastic surgeon and he had decided to go into more sort of natural medicine. And it was different. It wasn't exactly like a lot of nutrition or what we call functional medicine. It was more things like homeopathy and Reiki and massage and 
herbal medicine. It was like a lot of these different kind of modalities, like a little bit mm. fringy. And, but I got a lot of benefit from him. Like he helped me. And so I started getting more interested in, in that field and looking into it. And I did some research, learned about the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine. Turned out I had all the prerequisites, which was lucky Mm -hmm. and decided. And then I was like, oh, it's a four-year program. I don't want to go back to school for four years and go through like anatomy again and um, pharmacology. Um, But then I I kind of warmed to the idea and it, it all seemed like it was this can like this like this journey you know no. that uh that made sense when you look back but when i was going through it like i had no idea that naturopathic medicine was a thing that you could get a degree in it that there were schools in toronto and um and i remember in my first year like or my first day they were talking about uh so one of my professors was saying something like um you know sort of describing the phenomena that I'd experienced that people will feel like something's not wrong, not right with them. Like something's wrong. Like they're not feeling great. They're tired. They have maybe hormonal issues, heavy periods, missed periods. Maybe they're not sleeping well. Maybe they feel depressed, but they feel like it's not like this chemical imbalance thing I'm being told it is that there's sort of this thing wrong with my, it's like switch screw loose Mm -hmm. in my brain or something like this kind of narrative that we hear. And I'm feeling really overwhelmed and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm told everything's fine. Yeah. And he was sort of describing this phenomenon and saying, you know, yeah, it could be that your, your thyroid is under-functioning, but your lab tests are normal. That doesn't mean that that's normal for you. And this, this idea of individual medicine, this idea of getting to know your patients, spending time with them, coming mm-hmm. up with solutions that apply to them, like looking at their lifestyle, their food, their diet, all these things that um, I was sort of interested in that I wasn't getting help with when I'd go to a practitioner. Um, like, how do you like, like helping you with the question of daily living? Like, how do I support my body and my mind and my emotions in day-to-day life that's stressful mm. and hard and how do I understand what's happening in my body like what these symptoms are what these signals mean like where these things are coming from that aren't yet classified as disease but feel like they're on their way there if I don't do anything about it like yeah so you know all of this gray area that just wasn't covered in the medical system and so so that's a long story of how I ended up there and uh mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. And I wish that as a life side, they told us about that program because yeah, because it's you know? super interesting. So yeah. you're kind of saying that like all this medicine stuff, it's not like a one size fits all. It's very like individual depending on the person. Right. Because one thing that works for one person might not work for another. Yeah. Like if you think of someone with anxiety or 10 people that have anxiety, it, it's looking at not only like where would the, their anxiety stem from because it could be 10 different scenarios mm-hmm. that are what we call like the root cause of what would lead to that person feeling anxious also the anxiety can be expressed in 10 completely different ways mm-hmm. you know one person's anxiety is very mental it's like the rumination the worry another person it's very physical and like i have nothing to worry about my mind is not bothered by anything but i feel heart palpitations or sweating or nausea. Like I, I feel these very physical symptoms and I don't know where mm-hmm. they're coming from. And then the strategy, 
on how to help that person is completely different and complex and pulls in different factors. And, you know, because we have these ideas about what someone might need to feel well for their nervous system to feel calm and safe, mm-hmm. ultimately what someone with anxiety needs. But everyone's living in a different reality and mm-hmm. can do different things and has different preferences. And so we're trying to fit a plan together for that person so they can feel supported. Yeah. You know, someone's like, oh yeah, give me some supplements. Mm-hmm. And the person's like, tell me how to, how to eat, or I just need someone to talk to, or do you have books I can read? So, and, mm-hmm. and it's usually a combination of different things that help. And this idea of chronic disease, you know, so we have like acute diseases could be self-limiting or really respond well to medical interventions, mm-hmm. right? Like taking antibiotics for a bacterial infection or setting a broken bone or like cauterizing a, like a gunshot wound, you know, yeah. like, so these things that like you, you need to intervene quickly and then the body kind of takes over after that. And, but with chronic disease, this vicious cycle of whether it's like inflammation or, some sort of chronic dysfunction. There's so many factors that contribute to it. So the cause is the solution is not just one single factor, which is how a lot of medications are designed. It's like, you're trying to hit one receptor. You're trying Mm -hmm. to solve. Yeah. You're you're looking for essentially like that silver bullet. And because chronic disease is so multifactorial, it's often not, possible to do that. And that's mm-hmm. why we see there's a lot of treatment gaps in in medical interventions. You know, yeah. like mental health is a perfect example. Like we have different theories about what might even cause mental health concerns. There's a huge spectrum on what someone might experience. Like with depression, you get mild to moderate depression that someone experiences for a few months and goes away. And then you can have the more severe like person who's in inpatient treatment, whose medical team is considering like ECT, Uh who's potentially, um, you know, dealing with suicide. And so, you know, is that person, is it the same underlying biochemical issue in all those people and one is just more severe or are they completely different things? Yeah. You know, we don't know. And you can like do a functional MRI and all these on all these individuals mm-hmm. and everybody's brain looks different and we just don't have the same sort of understanding, you know, yeah, and there's no like clear answer for this. There's no clear answer. Yeah. And even, you know, medication helps some people does nothing for others, just creates negative side effects in others. And so, mm-hmm. um, and probably in the majority, it helps a little bit, but then there's a big treatment gap and they're like, I don't feel awesome but I don't feel as crappy because it causes other side effects maybe yeah or it causes side effects or you know there's like there's other there's obviously other things that are missing that are missing yeah like I don't want to feel happy I don't just want to feel less crappy (laughs) (laughs) yeah so then how did you get interested in like specifically like the mental health and hormone type thing and how that's connected? Like what kind of triggered your interest in that? I think it's just because it's something that 
so many of the, so in your fourth year at, at the naturopathic college, it's all an internship. So you're working in their outpatient clinic mm-hmm. as an intern, and then you have a, a supervisor works with you. So you're managing patients, which is really fun and really interesting, great hands-on learning. And I was sort of noticing who was coming in, what kind of conditions was I seeing? It's like a real random mixed bag of who you're going to get, like who's yeah. going to be assigned to you. Uh, some people request you, but it's rare. You're just a brand new intern. And everybody had some underlying mental health, mood, mental, emotional component to their case. You mm-hmm. know, there was whether that was even just uh, an obstacle to being able to follow a plan, you know, in achieve their goals, whether that be like a health goal or life goal. And being able to address that and learn more about that seemed really important. Um, And then I also felt there's like a big Venn diagram between hormones and mental health. (laughs) This is a lot of overlap. Yeah. And I also, you know, um, yeah, I, I just, I feel like because hormones are so not linear, you know, even how we study medicine, right? Like an RCT is very like cause and effect. You're just, you're isolating. You're trying to isolate down to one variable, yeah. you know, independent, dependent. <laughs> variable. And then you're trying to like eliminate all the other, all the other factors mm-hmm. as best you can. And that's not an even, yeah, like the receptor theory, right? You know, receptor target and it's not really how our understanding of hormones is not exactly how they work. Like they modulate each other. They change the receptor receptor sensitivity. There's a lot more of a network effect. You Mm -hmm. have like somebody's ability to create a hormone, to respond to the hormone, how the other hormones communicate with it, how it, you know, how it interacts with your genes, um, how the body degrades it and breaks mm-hmm. it down, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The, you know, um, and they're just, I was finding that patients were like, oh, I, you know, I'm in the normal range, like I'm normal. But clearly mm-hmm. as, as we start to learn more about hormones and that, and hormones include like your estrogen and progesterone, but also your cortisol, your stress hormone, insulin, like it, mm-hmm. every, you know, essentially every signaling mm-hmm. molecule is, um, is, is a hormone, I guess you could say, but, um, but yeah, like, and so we're, we're looking at like, how do these things affect our mood? How do they affect our, our experience? Mm-hmm. Like our, our, our thoughts, our emotions, how, you know, our energy levels, um, and are there ways that we can, that we can, um, support these systems in the body to make someone feel better that aren't available in, in the, the current, you know, medical solutions that we have. And so I was interested in that because I felt like, you know, somebody with um, PCOS for like polycystic ovarian syndrome, it's an extremely common condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think like 10% of menstruating people have some sort of, sort of PCOS and the solutions like go on birth control pill. Mm-hmm. which doesn't really solve it. It just, it, you know, the problem with PCOS is that you're not ovulating, you're not having periods. And then there's all these other hormonal effects from that. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's some insulin resistance, not in every case. And, and then the solution is to put someone on the, the oral contraceptive pill, which 
the entire point of that pill is to have you not ovulate. <laughs> so it's yeah. not really, as, it's like, doesn't make any sense. So, um, you know, how do you get somebody ovulating and how do you get some, how do you improve someone's fertility? How do you restore their cellular signaling? Like these are all things that yeah. there's, there's research on, yeah, but just yeah. not at a stage where it's applied widely mm-hmm. if you go mm-hmm. to like your family physician. So that stuff is all interesting. Like that kind of the new cutting edge, like applying research um, interventions early on, mm-hmm. you know, with things that are already available. So they don't need to go through all their like clinical trials because they're already widely available in your health food store or in your supermarket. Mm-hmm. And so we can apply these interventions um, quickly. And we're also applying them in conjunction with one another. You're not just doing one thing. You're just taking one, you're not just taking vitamin D. You're doing that with certain foods yeah. or certain diet or exercise and mm-hmm. sleep. And so you're applying these, this multi-layered intervention. Mm -hmm. So from my understanding, like your hormones can be affected by like a variety of different factors. Some of them could be like environmental. So like what type of factors do you kind of see playing a role in that? Yeah. I mean, I think our circadian rhythms are huge and you were mentioning like, you know, your classmates are like going to bed at 5am and circadian rhythms totally mess up. I mean, we just had daylight savings time. It's like a disastrous on everyone's (laughs) circadian rhythm like there's an increase in uh suicide i think i I don't have the statistic in front of me but yeah um, with that spring daylight savings and that's just one hour time shift you know that we have a day to recover from theoretically so our, our circadian like our circadian rhythms and how our body understands what time it is and what job each cell needs to be doing in accordance with the time of day is could really affect our hormones. Our blood sugar is a big one. Um, the way that we are, I guess, culturally accustomed to eat in North America is not the best for blood sugar regulation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we are consuming more refined carbohydrates. Nothing wrong with carbohydrates. When they're more refined, it can be more of an issue. Not usually enough protein or good quality sources, sometimes not even enough calories. Like there's a big diet culture that even eating healthy or clean eating is usually associated with some sort of restriction or elimination. Mm -hmm. People end up not uh, eating enough. And um, even the fats that we're consuming aren't great. There's a shift now, but we were also told don't eat fat for a long time. And that still hasn't shifted enough. And, um, and so what we often see is that like people will start their day with like cereal, their blood sugar, get, they get this quick rise in blood sugar, body pancreas releases insulin to get the blood sugar down. Sometimes overshoots, you get reactive hypoglycemia, which is not always perceived as hunger, but it's like that hangry. Like you feel crappy, you feel shaky, you feel uh, sometimes nauseous, sometimes pissed off, sometimes anxious. <laughs> sometimes dizzy. Yeah. Um, it's hard to focus. You're way more stress intolerant. So you're like exam that's coming up seems more hopeless. Um, and then you respond. The only way to fix it is to eat sugar that will quickly raise your blood sugar mm-hmm. or your body can release cortisol, which it needs for the stress response. It can release cortisol to try and raise blood sugar to a level that feels normal for you. And so then we're sort of in this, it's like another stressor on the body to have hypoglycemia. 
Mm-hmm. And over time, that can kind of just throw us off. It throws us into a roller coaster that doesn't always feel good, but that we don't always know is happening um, because mm-hmm. we also have situational stressors that we can attribute how, you know, our physical feelings to, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, oh, I'm stressed. I feel like crap because I have this exam coming up and I just feel off. Um which is true, but the blood, you know, if your blood sugar stayed steady, it's a lot easier to deal with your exam and study. Yeah. So that issue when your blood sugar is spiking, that's caused by just eating the wrong types of foods. Like just. Yeah. I mean, if you're metabolically healthy, like if you don't have type two diabetes or or type one diabetes Mm -hmm. um, or insulin resistance, um, then yeah, most typically, I mean, extreme stress will raise your blood sugar as well, but it's probably not going to raise it into hyperglycemic levels Mm -hmm. and so it's it's really it's like the quick release of blood sugar Mm -hmm. into the bloodstream that creates this this um large insulin response caused by eating certain foods right yeah it's more the refined carbs and they're not you know it's all stuff in moderation like it's more you know instead of the cereal on its own cereal by and then maybe add a little bit of fat protein to it you know, so instead of like the toast and butter, toast and eggs and butter, avocado toast with mm-hmm. some eggs, like a bit more of a, like, you know, thinking like, whole, like a whole meal, a complete meal versus series of snacks. Yeah. Um, and, and big breakfasts are helpful. Like I'll tell a lot of patients to start the day with 20 grams of protein, just something that, that gives your body something to get started on. Mm-hmm. Um, especially it's also part of the the body's so our circadian rhythm is set by the sun but also our liver sends signals to our brain about what time of day it is and so eating can be a really important stimulus to tell the circadian rhythm that it's daytime Mm -hmm. so starting off the day with a substantial meal you know within reason like however your however much your appetite will allow you to have um like a decent breakfast is helpful Mm-hmm. So yeah. for students, like I find a lot of people I know personally, like they kind of tend to not eat. Some of them eat maybe their first meal around 3 p.m. They wake up late. They go to bed late. Like how does that kind of affect them, especially as like young adults? Yeah. I mean, as young adults, that's the thing. It's like I remember pulling all nighters. Yeah. And- <laughs> I thought <laughs> I remember pulling on there as being like, okay, I'm gonna like suck every last drop out of the these like lecture notes or whatever, and I'll get a better grade. Then in the second iteration of my education, like the second degree, it was like, no, I'll do. It, it was more about strategic studying. Like I'm gonna do practice exams first. The we shared notes a little bit more. There's a little bit more camaraderie, which was really mm-hmm. helpful. And um, and then it was like about buffet style like okay I'm gonna take the the meat and potatoes and and save the extra detail stuff yeah for later but sleep comes first and so if I don't get to that those little pieces like so be it Mm -hmm. and you know and same thing with with exercise too like an exercising so for however long you exercise just moderate intensity so like a brisk walk kind Mm -hmm. of thing however long you exercise before studying, you get this extra boost in 
brain-derived neurotropic factor. So this um, this growth factor for neurons that sort of primes your brain for learning. Okay. So you're like, if I have two hours to study, <laughs> I want to waste an hour walking, but you actually get most likely double time the study efficiency in that second hour. So taking that information, I applied that and it was really helpful. It was also good stress relief to just be like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, set my brain, even if you're switching subjects kind of thing, hmm. just, I'm going to set my brain up for studying, um, you know, prioritizing sleep because that's helping you integrate the information. And I know I was told this like a million times in undergrad. I didn't listen. I didn't do it. So <laughs> like you're stuck with like, you're like, I'm only on chapter three of this textbook. I need to read 20 chapters. So I get it. But I, you know, you know, also when, when you're going to school, it's like a, in your later twenties, like more adult years you're also like i'm not gonna bother with all-nighters and stuff like whatever if i fail i fail but you don't fail. <laughs> um you're like whatever i'm not gonna like waste i'm not gonna be tired tomorrow um but i think yeah really it's sort of understanding that it's not just about getting through the material sometimes it's how efficient are you mm-hmm. when you are awake and when you are studying and and sort of optimizing that efficiency by using your body to help out so getting the right amount of sleep yeah, if I if I were going to give you like an ideal st- schedule for learning, it's like getting your eight to nine hours of sleep, making sure that you're asleep around that ten, like 2 a.m. time period. So that's a good time to be in the deepest sleep, which was like going to bed at 10, 12 a.m., <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> so that your body's asleep, you're your brain is in deep wave sleep, going through REM cycles, processing information, waking up to a a big breakfast. Mm-hmm. You can be you can be strategic with that. You can like um, make like pre make a bunch of um, overnight oats or hard boiled eggs, or it can be grab and go stuff. You don't have to sit yeah. there like, frying pancakes or anything. Like that. <laughs> and then a little bit of movement and sunlight. And now that, you know, the, the clocks are forward and it's dark, it's a little bit harder, but the more light in the morning, the better to kind of wake up your system. And then a bit of movement before sitting mm-hmm. down to study, just letting like the energy out of the body and, and priming it. Um, but it's hard because yeah, I have a lot of patients who, I mean, when we are stressed, it affects our circadian cycle. Yeah, for sure. It was affected. It causes more stress. So there's this vicious chicken egg cycle that, that can occur. Mm -hmm. So trying to go to sleep at a reasonable time, like how, how would you recommend that after like, if, for example, if we're sitting at our desk studying all day, looking at a screen, we feel really hyper, we know we should sleep, but we can't sleep. Like, how does that work because otherwise the next day you wake up and you're super tired because you couldn't sleep all night and that's like the super so this is the common cycle that happens when our our stress response is a little bit skewed from our circadian cycle Mm -hmm. so it's time to wake up and it's really hard like you're hitting snooze when you do get up you're like like it's like a truck hit you like you your body's not awake so that's that morning grogginess you know mm-hmm. probably not interested in eating because your digestive system's also not awake you but then eventually you drink your coffee you get some sugar in you and then you're you're a little bit more awake mm-hmm. uh but it, it may still take you a couple more hours to really feel at the peak of your energy levels and focus and cognition mm-hmm. you probably have a crash in the mid-afternoon 
And then once, then you kind of get this second wind and we call it like the tired and wired. So you're like, I'm exhausted because I never really recharge my battery and I have all this stuff going on and I'm depleted. I'm consistently depleting my like mental and emotional battery as I'm like Mm -hmm. stressing. I'm not really feeling fulfilled because all of these social interactions that I normally would have at Queens, I'm not really engaging in. Like I don't get to hang out with my friends after class during like a break. Like I'm not, you know, maybe I can go to the gym, but you're probably like, spent six feet apart like they're in the same kind of social cohesion Mm. and and yet you still have all these responsibilities and obligations and you also have been exposed to all this blue light on your computer right so it's stimulating it's like confusing our body to think that there's still it's still daytime yeah and it's winter time so we're not getting really strong circadian signals from the sun because the sun's not overhead and the sun's not around for for um for very long Mm -hmm. And so what we want to do, so what that tired and wired is, is there's a cortisol spike, like your, your body is in a stress mode, but you're still depleted. You're still tired. And so is this like, like this kind of empty agitation people feel. Mm-hmm. And so what I'll sometimes tell my patients to do is when you know, kind of want your bedroom to be, <laughs> so let's say it's, you, you don't want to like make huge goals. If you're normally going to bed at 5am, good goal is like 3am. Like don't make it, don't, you don't need to be a hero, <laughs> but maybe you want your bedtime, the ultimate goal to be like 12am. So over time, you can slowly pull your bedtime back. So let's say your bedtime goal is 12am. By 11, turning off your screen, even switching to blue light blocking glasses or some sort of blue light blocking device on your screen, just to, it's almost like harm reduction to kind of reduce that light that's coming in. Mm-hmm. But even the act of studying and be, is stimulating. So, you know, there is probably going to be a need for some bedtime preparation, which might look like just getting off your screen, closing your textbooks. I don't even know if there's textbook anymore. <laughs> I haven't bought them forever. I yeah. buy textbooks. <laughs> um, closing like whatever your notes, <laughs> and then um, and then doing something else. And it doesn't have to be like a medit. It would be awesome if it's meditation. There's a um, there are YouTube videos which I, I know I told you to close your screens, but you know you can also like listen your screen away from you <laughs> and the audio playing. There's something called Yoga Nidra which is a, it's like a kind of meditation. It's not physical yoga. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a hypnosis. Okay. A guy called Andrew Huberman, who um, uses that as, he studies a stress response in the brain and sleep. And according to him, Yoga Nidra does help restore and, and, and help with like mental reprocessing and new nerve, neural connections. So even if you can't sleep mm-hmm. and you're doing this, it's still better than nothing. And even if you're waking up in the middle of the night, stressed out and anxious, putting on a, a yoga nidra audio, just finding one on YouTube could really help too. Okay. I feel like at least you're doing something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that might be helpful to just help wind down, but stuff that's just letting your nervous system kind of settle, you know, something that's not stimulating. Um, and for people, it looks different. Like sometimes it's just prepping for the next day. Um, you're putting your clothes out, cleaning the kitchen, just mm-hmm. a, a different activity with the 
intention of, of restoration and relaxation. Winding down. Yeah. Like I was just talking to housemates or roommates or like going for a little walk, even nothing too stimulating. You don't necessarily want to do a crazy workout, but something that you're just, yeah, like you're kind of just letting the sediment settle, you know, <laughs> letting all the energy settle. Like, yeah. and it could be different. Yeah. Grab a cup of tea, like an herbal tea, something that just kind of like we talk about, you know, don't eat on the run. Like when you're going to eat, sit down, serve yourself, get your digestive system ready to digest food. It's sort of the same thing with sleep. It's like really hard to go from do, 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 do into expecting your body to just crash and sleep. If you're really exhausted, that can happen. But most nights it's probably going to be really hard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, your body kind of needs to be coaxed into it. It's a different switch for the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And it can be hard to like make that switch if you're, if you're pushing more of a fight or flight state more often. Mm -hmm. And so being able to kind of, you know, wind down a bit. A lot of our entertainment is screens, like, you know, but if you can try and get off a screen for an hour before yeah. bed. Read a book or something. Yeah, like a really so trashy novel. <laughs> something with <laughs> nothing to do with what you're studying. Mm-hmm. You know, listen, sometimes I listen to a podcast, just the the noise, the voice, uh, right. their bedtime stories. Like you can still, I guess, use your electronics, but I'll usually put screen down away from me and yeah, try to, awesome. yeah, just sort of, I mean, really what happens is a lot for a lot of people is like you're you're in doing mode all day and then you go to lie down in your bed and your mind is like, oh, great. Now we can review the events of the day and think about all the things and worry about tomorrow and da, 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 da. Now all of a sudden you have this really busy mind mm-hmm. and it can be helpful to give that mind something to do, like something to listen to or a meditation, like a task yeah, or to just give it enough time to purge all of the thoughts that it it wants to think Mm -hmm. um and uh you know there's there's so many different practices like there's a daily review you just sort of go through the events of your day backwards um just mentally or you think about what you want your day to be the next day um breathing but ultimately Mm -hmm. it's just it's the principle is just like creating space closing sort of ending your day ending all the doing of the day and then just allowing your body to settle in whatever way makes sense for you or feels good or seems reasonable mm-hmm. and trying to then going to sleep and then how much exercise would you say like an average student would need like I guess even a brisk walk would kind of count yeah it's like it's sort of like what kind of exercise right like it depends in, I'm doing a program right now. It's like a lifestyle program for for our mood and hormones and our mental health. And we're on the exercise week. And it's really, you know, so what feels good? So first, so there's like different phases of exercise, right? It's like the motivation to do it, mm-hmm. <laughs> how you feel, you know, so you're like, I don't want to do it. Okay. But what does that mean? Sometimes it means you shouldn't do it because you're way too tired and it's just going to deplete you more. Sometimes it means you need to like push yourself to do it because you'll feel awesome. So that's like a little bit of a test, like a beta test. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, sometimes if I feel that way, I should try sometimes not. Yeah. But how do you feel? How do you feel while you're exercising? Does it feel like d- after five to 15 minutes, does it feel good? How do you feel afterwards immediately? And how do you feel the rest of the day and the next day? And so typically 
two good forms of exercise are like the short, intense bouts of exercise. So no more than 20 minutes of almost like high interval, like high intensity interval training. Mm-hmm. Strength training would be great. It boosts brain drive neurotropic factor. I wish I had done more strength training because it saves you so much time and it, you get a lot of really good metabolic benefits from it mm-hmm. and brain boosting benefits. And then the other one is, is there sort of like longer, more meditative, more almost like brain massaging, mm-hmm. wandering kind of ex- like going for a walk around campus around some of the nice parts of Kingston because <laughs> there are some yeah <laughs> like by the the water or something kind of feeling like uh like that helps to feel a roaming tendency you know it's sort of like our, our hunter-gatherer instinct it's like oh I'm going out I'm looking around I'm looking at people who don't care about queens or what I'm studying or like mm. they're still surviving and oh there's water and there's ducks and you're sort of just sort of mm-hmm. getting a bit of perspective um which takes a, li- a little bit longer, right? Like we're talking like an hour walk or half an hour walk, something to yeah. kind of create some distance from mm-hmm. um, from what you're you're dealing with. So those are, are the two kinds. I think it's easier sometimes to motivate like a longer walk because you're not pushing your stress system, but the shorter ones might be more convenient. So it's really just feeling out what feels good. You know, maybe having to get changed as a factor. You're like, I'd rather not like bring gym clothes. I'm just going to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Um, getting outside is really helpful. You know, yeah. I know the gym is nice now. It was awful when I was at school you know, <laughs> the Queen Center with the peck. <laughs> it was still uh. junk, um, <laughs> but I still would go. Um, so yeah, having like, yeah. So, I mean, it could be, and, and I think going either during a study break or, um, or sort or before a, a, a long bout of studying can help sort of prime your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think if you can move every day, that's wonderful, but it can be something as simple as just going for a stroll, you know? Yeah. Doing oh, some yoga. Important. Yeah. Just something that, that moves your body that removes some of that pent up energy. Um, and that, and that allows your brain to settle and integrate some of the stuff it's learning. Mm-hmm. Really helpful. So how is that kind of connected to like mental health, like along with like the diet and stuff? Like do the hormones connect all into that as well? Yeah, I think one of the big things that, so this is what I wish I knew when I was at Queens <laughs> is this connection between cortisol and how we feel. Mm-hmm. So cortisol is our stress hormone. And but it is really important for us to feel good when we're stressed. That's the thing. It's like we hear all this horrible stuff about cortisol. Don't be stressed because you're gonna your body's gonna make a lot of cortisol and that's bad for you. Mm-hmm. But if you are if you have a lot going on in your life and you're not making enough cortisol, you're you're gonna feel like trash. You're gonna feel that like that burnout feeling. Like you don't have enough energy, you might feel anxious, you might feel really depressed, like I don't want to get out of bed. I don't, I'm not motivated to do anything. It's hard to concentrate, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. All these things that we sort of associate with, you know, with collapse, like with extreme stress where we start to, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there's a difference when we're in, we call it the resistance phase when you're, when you're stressed out, but you're sort of like, you know, I got this, like I'm hitting my deadlines. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of on top of it all. 
you know, you you know that person. Maybe you are that person. You know? <laughs> like you know that that person. You're like, how does that person like getting nineties and like I see them like lifting weights and like who are they? I can like barely <laughs> like breathe. And then and then you're in that space where you're like, I am you know, I go home for a break and I get a cold right away kind of thing. Like your mm-hmm. body's just so worn out. And so what is really important is to support our stress response, support our body's ability to uh, respond to cortisol, mm-hmm. make sure that we're giving ourselves enough time to, to clear cortisol, you know, at nighttime when we're sleeping to process, to rest, to recharge the battery. And one of the things that we see in depression, some research is showing that there's the, the, a person who's really depressed has a lot of cortisol. So there's a lot of stress, but their body's not responding to it. And so they are almost in this burnout, this collapse state. They're uh, having a really hard time motivate, getting motivated. They're experiencing some inflammation, mm-hmm. uh, which is affecting mood regulation. They're, um, you know, bodies maybe feeling sore, heavy, achy, changes in appetite. So their 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 body is experiencing a similar state as somebody who has the flu kind of thing, you know, but mm-hmm. you you don't have the context of a flu. You just feel sad and terrible and 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 just blah, like, you know, and so when we talk about hormones, one of the big players is cortisol. And I wish I knew a how to like what it felt like when my cortisol was high and what it felt like when it was low and what I should do about it during Mm -hmm. those times. So when it's low, you, you feel that grogginess, that brain fog, that like tired. Yeah. I'm tired. Like I'm really not motivated. Like I'm, it's like, if I stand up quickly, I get lightheaded. And when it's high, it's like a wired kind of like, like fried kind of feeling. Like imagine having like way too much coffee, that kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm tired, but I'm on edge. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, when it's, when it's like that up, 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 diffusing some of that energy by doing some exercise and then helping to calm oneself down, really preparing your bedtime properly, that kind of thing. And then when it's really low resting um, and, and also gently bringing the body into a state where it can, start to build its energy reserves, like maybe a gentle walk, doing some mm-hmm. meditation, some more restoration, that self-care we talk about. Um, but then I also wish I knew about a class of herbs called adaptogens, mm-hmm. which help the body adapt to stress. So they help to reset and talk to the stress systems in the body to boost some more of that cortisol regulation so that the brain responds a bit better to it that there's a little bit of like a cortisol effect happening um, and helping to sort of reset that circadian system. Mm-hmm. And I lived on these in at CCNM. Like I was like, I wish I had had these things at Queens because like, I feel <laughs> like this whole second program I'm taking is just like a, a big study for how these things work. <laughs> Cause mm-hmm. they're just like stressing us out and then yeah. we're taking our deal with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of that stuff can be really helpful. And so, you know, there, I know that the, um, you know, you can see an ND as a student, I think there's some insurance coverage and even just a couple sessions to just have a couple of supplements that can help might be useful and a little bit of a plan, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. but even, yeah. Um, 
you know, but even, I mean, some patients will like research and they take things like ashwagandha or holy basil or mm-hmm. licorice root. Like there's obvious, there's some contraindications for certain people. There's a potential for interaction with certain medications. So it's not really something, but a lot of these things you can find in teas um, mm-hmm. and you can find them like in d- definitely over the counter in health food yeah. store capsules. And they're, you know, That's a lot of them are, are like pretty effective preparations. Mm-hmm. Can be, yeah. And then, you know, I mean, my colleagues will always say like, you can kind of DIY it for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. And then if it's not helping you, yeah, you can ask someone for help, you know? Mm-hmm. So just kind of like, finally, like, I was just curious, like, if you knew kind of about how mental health in young adults, like, is it on the rise? Like, how has it been affecting? And like, kind of just one overall... Yeah. Obviously there's not one answer, but kind of just some like final tips or things to just kind of yeah. help. I know. I think it is on the rise. I think it's, I think there's more awareness, which is really good. Mm-hmm. The more people are talking there, you know, in social media, everyone gives it a bad rap, but I think that there's, it, it expands the world because it puts you in control of your media. Mm-hmm. So for example, like, but the body positive movement, I, like, I don't remember on Instagram or like, I don't remember having that. I don't remember being exposed to different bodies and, and, mm-hmm. you know, different sizes and shapes. And, and, you know, so that in and of itself is helpful, just conversations around mental health and awareness yeah. and awareness and different communities that you can find yourself connected to globally, mm-hmm. you know, um, I think that can be really helpful. But then at the same time, there's just so much that's hijacking our attention mm-hmm. and, and, and dysregulating our cortisol ultimately, you know, there's, you know, and, and our, you know, our, our dopamine pathways and, and all of that. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty too in this time. Like, I don't know, you know, if a lot of, um, your friends and colleagues have clarity on like where they're going in the future and like what's yeah. in the store, you know, answers are missing like certain bigger. Yeah. Like where are we going? Yeah. I know like I have some cousins in their early twenties who are figuring that out. And it's just, there's no, like, I think that there's like a lot of possibility. Like what I've seen in my, my friends and colleagues is that like we started in this sort of typical Gen X, like everybody's going to have a profession and work in mm-hmm. an office and everyone is really diverted into very innovative <laughs> jobs that they never saw. Like one of my colleagues is like working online as a sort of alternative teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm doing most of my work online. A lot of people are running online programs. So there's a lot of, you know, one of my friends like lives in Costa Rica now and is doing, so there's like so much possibility, but it's Mm -hmm. nothing is, you know, I think before it was like, oh, you did like your undergrad and you went to med school and then you did your residency and then you got a job. (laughs) You did like your engineering degree and you got like a job at Ontario Power Generation and then you were good. You were set Mm -hmm. for life. And now it's just not the case anymore. And there's so much uncertainty. So I think there's a lot of possibilities, but I think it can feel really overwhelming. And I think the old, the other generations don't have the knowledge and experience to help 
guide your generation, you mm-hmm. know, because we're just like, I don't know what it's like to have been born and the internet was already around, you know, yeah, <laughs> so, social media and all that stuff was like just yeah. for our generation it started. Yeah. Like I, like we had Facebook in uh, 20, 2005 and I was in second year already. And I remember mm-hmm. being like, what is this for? You know, and that no one uses Facebook anymore, but that was like the beginning. <laughs> it really wasn't anything. And now it's, that's it. That's everything. Everyone's job is reliant on it. Our information mm-hmm. comes from there. So it's, yeah. And we don't know what it means. And it might mean nothing. It's just, it might be just normal. Like when people mm-hmm. probably freaked out about photography, like people freaked out about photography when that was new. So it might not be, <laughs> it might not be anything. And it's just older generations, like, you know, getting scared mm-hmm. about new things. Um, Do you think yeah. that having like a routine would be like helpful for all of us studying and sitting all day and kind of like lacking our usual activities in our life? Yeah, I think that um, that a routine, you know, sometimes like a routine and a schedule feels like a prison, but it actually opens up the possibility for more spontaneity like right when your big rocks are taken care of Hmm. and it helps to create this sense of safety like ultimately what our nervous system is looking for is is safety and predictability it wants Hmm. to know that that it's not undergoing a famine or being chased by a saber-toothed tiger and so if there's like a consistency to sleep and food and movement Mm -hmm. that can be really helpful for your brain to pay you back with better concentration and energy and mood mm-hmm. um which ultimately helps with your the end goal right of like getting through it all yeah. um there's a, a good resource it's called wild five wellness it's a workbook you can get it's not expensive and it it sort of outlines it's it's like a workbook you do for for your mood and mental health mm-hmm. and it the the five pillars are mindfulness nutrition movement um sleep Mm-hmm. and and social connection and the social connection piece is just call so not texting call or see and if you can't mm-hmm. see then call two people a day um you know so if you have roommates you you might have that covered but you know a lot of people are living alone or mm-hmm. isolated or your roommates have different schedules or and so just being able to to outsource some of your stress like i call it like um, outsourcing my prefrontal cortex, right? Like your friend that sort of calm, takes, talks you off a ledge, like calms you down. Your mm-hmm. friend that's like, no, that's not, that's your perception of that's not accurate. Yeah. Like you're, you're telling yourself a story and you're like, oh, okay, thank you. You know, so that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, is really helpful. Yeah. Having, even just tracking your food could be, you know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to go on like a whole healthy eating plan. It could just simply be like, what am I actually eating? Let me just track it. And studies show that that makes that people make better food decisions just by tracking. And you're not tracking to shame yourself or count calories. It's just like, what do mm-hmm. I eat? You like, know, and then you look at it. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, idea. You know, sleep um, mm-hmm. and and giving a little bit more priority to it, which I know is hard. Mm-hmm. If it helps, like the there's a guy Matthew Walker who he's on a series of different podcasts, including uh, people like Joe Rogan, and he's um, he wrote a book called Why We Sleep, and he's like very good arguments for prioritizing sleep. So mm-hmm. sometimes just more information, 
is helpful for motivation. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, yeah, and with movement, I think just, you know, it's sort of like just doing car maintenance sometimes, right? It's yeah. Like, it'll just help me, like, it'll just help my brain, like, focus better. And when you're feeling just like, I can't look at this same page any longer, just taking some time away, going yeah. for a walk, and you'll probably experience a lot more renewed motivation and energy to come back mm-hmm. to it for especially sure. when it's a screen all the time you know mm-hmm. you need to do like some things that are hands-on <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> totally yeah just using like your hands like focusing on the distance and just like <laughs> yeah totally yeah. okay thank you so much Ellie. thank you yeah this is great thanks <laughs> for interviewing me and for chatting and if you have any more questions let me know <laughs> okay no problem thank you